This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the One Year Bible Reading for November 25th, and we are beginning the book of Daniel this morning, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, uh, starting right at the beginning of Daniel. I wanted to read to you a little introduction from a talk through the Bible. Daniel, sometimes referred to as the Apocalypse of the Old Testament, provides a majestic sweep of prophetic history. The Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and Romans will come and go, but God will establish his people forever. Nowhere is this theme more apparent than in the life of Daniel, a young God-fearing Jew transplanted from his homeland and raised in Babylonia. His adventures and those of his friends in the palace, the fiery furnace, and the lion's den show that even during the exile, God has not forgotten his chosen nation. And through Daniel, God provides dreams and interpretations of dreams designed to convince Jew and Gentile alike that wisdom and power belong to him alone. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it with his armies. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. When Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon, he took with him some of the sacred objects from the temple of God and placed them in the treasure house of his God in the land of Babylonia. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, who was in charge of the palace officials, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good sense, and have the poise needed to serve in the royal palace. Teach these young men the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned to them a daily ration of the best food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for a three-year period, and then some of them would be made his advisors in the royal court. Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief official renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief official for, for permission to eat other things instead. Now God had given the chief official great respect for Daniel, but he was alarmed by Daniel's suggestion. My lord, the king has ordered that you eat this food and wine, he said. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded for neglecting my duties. Daniel talked it over with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief official to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's rich food. Then you can decide whether or not to let us continue eating our diet. So the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier 
and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned to the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the rich foods and wines. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for learning the literature and science of the time. And God gave Daniel special ability in understanding the meanings of visions and dreams. When the three-year training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief official brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with each of them, and none of them impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they were appointed to his regular staff of advisors. In all matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, the king found the advice of these young men to be ten times better than that of all the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus's reign. So he was there in service for the entire 70 years of captivity. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that disturbed him so much that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that troubles me. Tell me what I dreamed, for I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king, tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be demolished into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. They said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, I can see through your trick. You are trying to stall for time because you know I am serious about what I said. If you don't tell me the dream, you will be condemned. You have conspired to tell me lies in hopes that something will change. But tell me the dream and then I will know that you can tell me what it means. The astrologers replied to the king, There isn't a man alive who can tell your majesty his dream, and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. This is an impossible thing the king requires. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live among people. The king was furious when he heard this, and he sent out orders to execute all the wise men of Babylon. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time so he could tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven, saying, and this is Daniel's prayer. We just love this. It's so applicable to today as well. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he alone has all wisdom and power. He determines the course of world events. He removes kings and sets others on the throne. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. 
He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he himself is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. And we will have to find out more about that dream tomorrow. First Peter, starting in chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, full of sympathy toward each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God wants you to do, and he will bless you for it. For the scriptures say, If you want a happy life and good days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Work hard at living in peace with others. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't be afraid and don't worry. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But you must do it this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak evil against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ also suffered when he died for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners that he might bring us safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God patiently waited while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. This is a picture of baptism, which now saves you by the power of Jesus Christ's resurrection. Baptism is not a removal of dirt from your body. It is an appeal to God from a clean conscience. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He, has, he is seated in the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers are bowing before him. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer, too. And it was interesting, I was reading last night, um, it was brought to mind that Christ was not stoic in his suffering. He asked his friends to watch and to pray with him as he grieved over that. Um, and I think that's a good example to us because we can view him as being very stoic. Um, but he felt that deeply, and, and we feel our suffering deeply as well. For if you are willing to suffer for Christ, you have decided to stop sinning. And you won't spend the rest of your life chasing after evil desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are very surprised when you no longer join them in the wicked things they do, and they say evil things about you. But just remember that they will have to face God, who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. 
That is why the good news was preached even to those who have died, so that although their bodies were punished with death, they could still live in the Spirit as God does. Psalm 119, starting in verse 65. You have done many good things for me, Lord, just as you promised. I believe in your commands. Now teach me good judgment and knowledge. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I follow closely your word. You are good and do only good. Teach me your principles. Arrogant people have made up lies about me, but in truth, I obey your commandments with all my heart. Their hearts are dull and stupid, but I delight in your law. The suffering you sent was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your principles. Your law is more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. You made me, you created me. Now give me the sense to follow your commands. May all who fear you find in me a cause for joy, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, O Lord, that your decisions are fair. You disciplined me because I needed it. Now let your unfailing love comfort me just as you promised me your servant. Surround me with your tender mercies so I may live, for your law is my delight. Bring disgrace upon the arrogant people who lied about me. Meanwhile, I will concentrate on your commandments. Let me be reconciled with all who fear you and know your decrees. May I be blameless in keeping your principles. Then I will never have to be ashamed. Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen, Blessed are those who have a tender conscience, but the stubborn are headed for serious trouble. And to end today, returning to Selwyn Hughes, I heard a lot of feedback about our reading yesterday, um, and I loved it as well, The Sin of Self-Protection. And related to that this morning is Enter Here at Your Own Risk, which comes from Philippians 2. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. We said yesterday that to love means moving toward another person without self-protection, or as our text for today puts it, considering others better than ourselves. Our Lord is the supreme example of this. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Disappointed people sometimes find it difficult to move out toward others. After all, people, even Christian people, can be rude, uncouth, obnoxious, and sometimes downright disgusting. I sometimes think it might be helpful if we put a sign outside some churches saying, enter here at your own risk. Forgive my cynicism, but I have lived long enough to know that Christians can hurt what are we supposed to do when we know that to move toward another person in love exposes us to the risk of being disappointed? We move forward in love. Easy to say, but more difficult to do. Making ourselves vulnerable to disappointment is frightening, but this has to happen if we are to love as we are loved. Mature Christians are those who are willing to look fully into the face of disappointment and feel it knowing that because they do, they will come to a deeper awareness that no one can comfort the heart like Jesus Christ. In the presence of such pain, one sees the uselessness of every attempt to find solace in one's own independent strategies. Facing and feeling the pain of disappointment underlies more than anything else 
the gripping truth that only in God can we trust. Father, at times your purposes seem to run diametrically opposite to our interests, but the more we ponder them, the more we see that you always have our highest interests at heart. Help us to trust you more and ourselves less. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a beautiful day. Love you all.